You are listening to the broadcast only on CJSW. Hi, my name is Sumit and I work for Calgary Pride as pro- manager of production and programming. And today with me um, is Michael. Uh, she, her are your pronouns. And I feel like you you might get misgendered a lot. Do you want to add to that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks for bringing that up because I feel like uh, just as a community and as a society, we really need to be talking a bit more about pronouns. I'm trans. I'm a woman. And uh, I have a beard currently, and I'm looking forward to that going away at some point. But, you know, right now, not very passing. And uh, right now, we don't really have a habit of asking people's pronouns. So I'm figuring out ways to do that. But um, I just think it's really important for us to be able to validate, you know, who that person is inside the other person. And for cisgendered people, people who uh, identify with the assigned gender that they were given at birth... You know, it's not a big deal, and that's good. I'm really glad for them. Uh, and at the same, at the other side of that is for folks who aren't cisgendered, it's really hard to get misgendered all the time. It mm-hmm. like It's kind of like if you're a sailboat on the ocean and uh, things are going really good, you got a good wind, you know. I'm not an expert at sailing, but uh, it's kind of like the wind gets taken out of your sails. When somebody says he, him, uh, to me... Or even sometimes the way they say dude, you know, it's it takes away from how you feel. You feel really unseen and even invisible in a way. Mm. And so I just kind of wanted to, to mention that, yes, uh, my pronouns are she, her, even though people may recognize my voice as manly. Uh, but um, I would really like to see more of us making space just to ask, like, Hi, my name's Michael. I use she, her pronouns. What pronouns do you use and what's your name? Yeah. You know, like we can make it normal. And so mm-hmm. I just, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. And I just wanted to mention that. No, thank you. Thank you for, um, you know, highlighting your part of like wh- how you feel every time you're misgendered. So um, thanks for that. You MC, you are a mm-hmm. DJ. You are also a host of Sweetie Treaty Show. At the same time, you do work, uh, hip hop youth work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you, your credentials as, um, you know, in educational systems, <laughs> <laughs> educational structures as a society, you're a graduate from Mount Royal University uh, mm-hmm. with a health sciences degree, which is very impressive. Oh, um, thank you. I want to share my first memory of you last year and in, in around August, I see you wearing a green, um, mm. knee length skirt, uh, sorry, um, skirt uh, and the pride flag raising ceremony yeah this was to kick off uh, pride week if i remember correctly that's correct and then we did a prayer ceremony prior to that Mm -hmm. and um, you were very engrossed in you know setting up everything helping warren who's our knowledge keeper shout out warren winnipeg and (laughs) not uh, from Teleni rose heavyhead yeah and warren is not from winnipeg (laughs) yeah (laughs) warren is not from winnipeg Currently residing in Treaty 6 and from Sixaga. Yeah. Um, 
and you were just all making sure everything is set and you went back and then you were like okay now I can decompress and then as the ceremony started I could see your like you know worries lift off and you were like in the yeah. moment um, you know fanning the <laughs> did stage did I really look stressed you did well you want I it felt like you wanted to make sure that everything is to the T perfect yeah. before you just relax and take that moment you're like I'm here now you know yeah well you know for me uh it's a Cree word, even though, like, uh, those two elders we just mentioned, they're both uh, Blackfoot, hey? But, um, you know, the word that we colloquially use is escapios, which is a Cree word, uh, means helper. And usually the context of that word is a spiritual helper. So you're helping an elder, you know, in a ceremony. Mm. And I don't know, there's just something that feels right about that, uh, doing that to me. I often fall into that role either casually just in my life, but more formally in spiritual settings or ceremonial settings. I guess, uh, you know, reflecting back on that moment, it, it's my job. You know, I feel like a responsibility when I'm doing that to, to help in a good way and to be attentive to details. So, you know, maybe as I continue to practice, you know, in that way that uh, I'll become a little bit less stressed, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that's kind of the beginning, running around, making sure I'm supporting and helping folks. And then oftentimes when the ceremony starts, I'm moving around a lot less. Yeah. And in a way, you know, in the Western world, we say holding space. You know, that's part of my responsibility there, too. So I think when I can be still, I'm kind of able to... I guess, uh, be more relaxed and try and put that energy out rather than attending to, uh, to tasks or, yeah, you know. Yeah. That was a very distinct memory. And oftentimes I don't remember, you know, details of everything unless I am really, you know, looking. So, uh, yeah. Stru- struck you somehow. It did. Yes. Um, absolutely. I want to start this interview by asking uh, you about your identity as two spirit. Please shed some light on, um, you know, your identity mm-hmm. and your journey thus far as a two-spirit um, person. Yeah. Well, um, I wasn't always out of the closet, I guess, is a good place to start. And, uh, you know, living just about, uh, well, over 30 years, you know, thinking that I'm a man and a male, uh you know, really kind of ingrained certain habits in me, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so it's been a process of coming to understanding. And I remember, um, you know, we kind of use the word two-spirit colloquially. And there's a lot of interesting things that happens around that word. Uh, one thing to know about that word is it uh, came about in uh, 1990. There was a gay, lesbian, indigenous, uh, we wouldn't have said indigenous, we would have said native then, um, community gathering in Winnipeg. It was 1990. And uh, there's an Anishinaabe person who had a dream and who brought that word as a translation uh, from Anishinaabe or uh, Jibwa, uh, which is the language. And so that word, you know, and this happens a lot when we're kind of in a Western colonial society where, you know, some people describe it as a melting pot where we didn't share words like that really before contact, you know, there would have been a cultural exchange, of course, but when the whole world, you know, was conquered by Europe, and most of us are speaking English now, Hmm. you know, we end up kind of using English words uh, in place of our own words. And so, you know, it kind of stressed me out for a while, because two-spirit is actually an umbrella word. It can mean 
somebody who uh, is indigenous, who may be gay, can use two-spirit, somebody who's indigenous, who uh, is trans like myself, or even non-binary, can use the word two-spirit. And uh, I think James Makokis uh, said it the best, the winner, uh, one of the winners, uh, the two-spirit couple there, um, James Makokis and Anthony Johnson, who won... Uh, the Amazing Race. Yeah, Amazing Race Canada. Right. Uh, shout out those two. Yeah. James, in a presentation that I've seen on uh, Indigenous Peoples Day, this past one here, uh, James said that two-spirit is a placeholder word until we remember the words in our own languages for, uh, you know, our, our gender expression, our sexuality. And I thought that was really helpful because when we're all speaking English, it's like we're trying to practice our culture, but the culture is really embedded in the language. And so in a way, it's kind of like the round peg and square hole kind of situation. You know, mm. there's always going to be compromises around that. But in our languages, there's these deep meanings that you just can't express in English. And so, uh, you know, it was really helpful to understand two-spirit as a placeholder word, you know, for uh, Indigenous people like myself who speak English, who speak very little of our, our languages. In fact, uh, I'm adopted out here in Treaty 7 as a Blackfoot person, but... I don't actually have any uh, biological ancestry as a Blackfoot person. So for me, trying to make sense of things, you know, it's like that sound. When I say that, you know, that's kind of my own form of displacement and trying mm -hmm. to reconnect to Native culture and, and uh, also learn the words of my relatives uh, in Blackfoot, but eventually Nehio, which is Cree, and uh, Machif, which is uh, Métis. That's interesting. I want to ask that what have you learned about your gender and sexuality in your journey? You kind of started with, you know, um, you realize at the age 30, you mentioned, right? So I just want to mm. just step it back a little and I want to know um, your journey. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, one thing is uh, we always lump gender and sexuality together. I think uh, as a colonial society... We're really good at putting things together that we just don't understand. You know, if there's, we kind of like marginalize things that uh, are not a part of the hegemony or the dominant uh, mm -hmm. dominant society. And um, so, you know, when it comes to gender for me, it really was about who am I truly? And I guess one of the stories that comes to mind is that uh, when I was really little, I can remember uh, my mom talking to me and... Uh, you know, making this interesting observation that I was really kind of caretaking in the way that a mother or like a, you know, we would expect a woman to be. And uh, I can remember, I don't remember the exact words that were said or the place, but I can remember from the response, a reaction uh, of my parents and my family that something, you know, was wrong. And, and we might say today, I don't think we had this language in my family for this then, but... Uh, you know, it triggered their transphobia that, like, I'm breaking a gender role right mm. now by kind of doing this. And I could feel that. And I remember feeling really ashamed, you know, for that. And really uh, even, you know, hating myself for uh, feeling that way. One of the things that I do is hip-hop youth work. You know, we yeah. uh, do ciphers, you know, where I MC. I also DJ for our ciphers. So uh, learning those elements in hip-hop, there's four elements 
hip hop, breaking, emceeing, and uh, writing, which is uh, graffiti. So as a hip hopper, culturally, you know, you want to know all four. It doesn't mean you have to have mastery over them, but uh, understanding those cultural elements is really important. So getting a chance to do that with the youth, it's really interesting for me because I don't feel that same shame that I felt when I was younger. And I didn't even put this together, but my uh, my friend Dwight, uh, Dwight Farahat, shout out Dwight, uh, you know, he made, he said this to me a number of times. He said, hey, bro, you know, he calls me bro. I actually really like the word bro when people call me bro. Unless they're like, bro, 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 like really bro. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting, uh, the energy we put on words. But he said to me, you know, you're a really good youth worker. I don't have to coach you. I don't have to intervene. Lots of times, you know, ahead of time what I'm thinking or what I need before I even ask you for it. I had a conversation with my mom recently, my biological mom who uh, I was trying to explain kind of my trans identity, which she's coming to terms with or trying to understand. Hmm. And uh, I told her that story of being shame, feeling a lot of shame when I was growing up uh, and really not liking myself for being that way. And it kind of felt like when Dwight was saying those things to me, like it was the opposite in a way, like where I was able to, to feel kind of confident or feel good about myself for that quality. It's this, to me, you know, in understanding myself, uh, it's the same thing. So it's really nice to get to practice that and just to feel good uh, about who I am. And I think, you know, in a way, it's a part of transitioning for me because that is a part of myself and a part of myself that I felt ashamed of that I don't, or at least I'm learning how to not feel ashamed for. And those youth deserve it, you know, so... Shout out the homies, little homies. <laughs> Shout out the homies, indeed. Uh... <laughs> the 2022 Calgary Pride Parade and Festival returns in person on Sunday, September 4th. The lively parade begins at 11 a.m., where two SLGBTQ refugees from around the world will lead the march along 9th Avenue Southwest. Following the parade, join the festival at a new venue, Fort Calgary. The festival starts at noon and will feature performances, marketplace vendors, food trucks, kid-friendly activities, a wellness area, beer gardens, and plenty of fun activations dispersed throughout Inglewood and the East Village. We can't wait to celebrate with you. Something you mentioned as part of society it's 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 society's role to learn about gender and sexuality and it's not one person's responsibility mm. um would you mind adding a little bit more to that well i guess something i do want to add is that uh like first of all i, I got to shout out my friend rebecca don for uh, being really gender affirming in my life and all the other friends of mine that have been really gender affirming you know those are people who were able to socially transition uh, mm -hmm. with me and uh, use, you know, treat me like a woman, think about me like a girl and help me to start getting into that space because like as much as we can say this is who we are, there's also functioning in society as somebody and that's, you know, the social part of it. So I just wanted to mention too the importance of gender affirming people in your life when you're transitioning. And uh, the other side of that too is that while those people can be really helpful at the same time 
It's like training wheels. I really appreciate those people because I needed them so that I could get from where I was to where I'm at now. Because at some point, I just need to affirm myself and really know that in my heart, even though I do already knowing that more confidently in social spaces. And so I appreciate the role that gender affirming people have played in my life so that I could get to where I'm at. And now, you know, I feel like not to say I don't appreciate it, you know, people who are gender affirming, but at some point it just normalizes, you know, it's, it shouldn't be uh, those people are going out of their way to help me with this. It's just actually who I am. And at the same time, for me, I'm not going out of my way to avoid people who aren't gender affirming. I just know who I am at the same point. So mm. I think that's an important thing. The other thing I wanted to mention is, you know, a lot of us, especially in the indigenous community, we become really disconnected with our sexualities or, you know, we've kind of adopted colonial ways of sexuality. And I, I you know, have been really trying to heal through this and try and figure out, you know, what this means to me and... One of the things that I came up with was that sexuality is, is, is love, is true love. It's a form of love. And that in our society, we divorce love from sexuality. And what I mean by that is that we think sex is one thing and intimacy is another, like closeness with somebody. And I think this is really problematic because then we have one set of rules for sex and one set of rules for intimacy. And, you know, that means people are growing up even before they know what sex is, thinking that when I have a crush on somebody, you know, before I even know what sex is, because little kids can have crushes on each other, we get into puberty where all suddenly now we're thinking like, okay, like, you know, we're scared that our kids are going to have sex, or our young people are going to have sex. And without teaching them that it's an expression of love and that by doing that, I really think we make room for, for violence around sex. And I also believe that we live in a rape culture. We, we, uh, slut shaming is a big part of that. We really feel like any sexuality, any form of, of um, I guess I want to go back to, to James McCocus and uh, Anthony Johnson. When Anthony Johnson was giving his presentation, he said uh, to me, this is where this idea came from, is that sexuality is about how you love and who you love. Hmm. And that really blew me away. I've heard it before, you know, said like that, but I was really in that mindset that sex and sexuality and intimacy, there's these separate things, but there, it is really about love. And that uh, we don't give our young people, and that even means our inner child and us adults, an opportunity to know that uh, our sexuality is really about how we love and, and who we love. And I think we should, uh, as a society, take some time to think about that or to feel that and what that means for us. Absolutely. I normally say feeding someone is my love language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say is your love language? Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. Shout out to Five Love Languages, by the way. That's a great book. It's really helped me, you know, and I should revisit it. But one of the things that I read in there is that our love languages can change over time. Mm -hmm. So I think for the longest time, I said words of affirmation are my love language. Um, but I, you know, it reminds me, you know, I'm a girl and I think the way that I love and want to be loved generally, and not saying this is like a hard rule cause I'm kind of, uh, interested in all humans, uh, relatively speaking, but that, uh, you know, for the most part, I'm a girl who wants to be a girl or sorry, <laughs> gee, I'm just getting my words mixed up. I want to, I am a girl 
who wants to be with a girl. And I can remember there was a friend of mine who I had a crush on in high school. And uh, I remember asking her, uh, like, we're friends and hanging out and da-da-da-da-da. I remember asking her to braid my hair. And I think she was, you know, again, kind of learning what it was. I felt like I did something wrong because she felt she shied away or something, you know. And then I had an experience recently where a friend of mine, she, like, held my hand. And, gee, and I was very, I was expressing feminine. I wasn't, like, stealth or, like, you know, hiding my transness as a woman. And I just, my whole body, like, lit up. My whole body was, like, responding. And, you know, it reminds me that, you know, like what I was saying, sexuality is love. And that, to me, there's a combination there of, one, I was authentically in my gender of who I am. And, two, there was a form of a human being that really my body, my mind, my heart, uh, and I would even say my spirit were responding to. And as a male or as a man playing that role, I never really felt that. It felt much more mechanical and much more uh, forced, I guess. Interesting. And so my love language, what I'm tr- the point, this long-winded story, <laughs> is that I feel like words of affirmation will always be high on that list, but... Um, Physical touch, you know, especially by somebody who I feel like a desire for love from, <laughs> you know, it's just uh, doing something that I am only just learning what yeah. that feels like now as a yeah. I'm being able to be authentically who I am. Brilliant. That's beautiful. Um, and thank you for sh- also sharing a little bit of your personal anecdote about <laughs> that, too. <laughs> um, this is a constant question I it's in my mind and I really wanted to ask you is I am, you know, first generation immigrant. When I say first generation, like I'm the first one who came outside of the country mm-hmm. to make a living or live in a different country. So my journey for learning about indigeneity and the the history of indigenous folks in this country and now learning about the unmarked graves, mm-hmm. um, uh, the knowledge started from like understanding the history now immersing myself and ensuring you know um whatever is happening in and around we are informed about that but a lot of people like canada you know on regular basis there's immigrants and people coming from all parts of the world what do you think is their role or a recommendation might seem very you know we're like imposing that. Mm-hmm. What do you think, what role they should take to catch themselves up with like, you know, in, with indigenous folks who have lived in this mm-hmm. from, you know, uh, in this land for years and years. Mm-hmm. Um, the question I want to revert back to is where does their journey of learning and uh, understanding indigenous folks start or what does that look like? Or is, is there, it, it, it's, it's a huge mm-hmm. question. It's yeah. a very meta question. Yeah. <laughs> That's very meta. <laughs> Um, Yeah, I mean, thanks for asking the question, because I do feel like this really needs to get talked about. Before I respond, I just want to say I'm sending uh, love and prayers out to everybody uh, who's been affected by, I'm pretty sure, over 10,000 children now. You know, this is not a surprise to anybody who, you know, is aware of this colonial history, and it's a good wake-up call for Canada, so... If you're feeling affected by this, I'm sending you love and prayers, and I'm also asking you to respond in a good way to this truth instead of burying it or ignoring it. 
Mm-hmm. Going back to uh, Two-Spirit and even the LGBTQIA plus community, I don't really feel Two-Spirits always feel a part or uh, Indigiqueer folks feel a part of the LGBT community. Mm. You know, the contemporary narrative in the LGBT community is that things are getting better. Even folks who are just allies to that community will say, you know, things are getting better. I hear that a lot. I actually just want to shake those folks when I say that, or when they say that, uh, because it really is also another form of erasure, uh, because for Indigenous people, we already had this acceptance. You know, we, we, if there was transphobia in our history and homophobia or just phobia of people who are not straight and cisgendered, like... Uh, like it was long ago, you know, we got over this sort of thing. So for indigenous people, indigiqueer and two spirits, we, it's different for us. We're reclaiming something we already had. It's not something that's getting better. And this is a progress of our society. This is a progress of the society that committed genocide and displaced us. And then who was left over tried to assimilate us to this society. That's the narrative that, uh, you know, we're being told this is what we follow. And so I really feel strongly that folks, newcomers to this land who have made their home here or are making their home here need to understand that even if their skin is darker, uh, they're still settlers on this land. And just like we get upset when fair-skinned folks uh, ignore that power that they possess, and I'm not saying... Um, uh, darker-skinned folks uh, aren't being displaced. You know, European colonialism and, you know, there's other forces there, but primarily what we're dealing with in the world right now is the results of European colonialism and the wakes of that and trying to stay balanced. Um, so not to take away from any of those histories of where people are coming from, but you have to understand that your home here. Uh, is only made possible because of, like what I said, the displacement, genocide, and assimilation of Indigenous peoples Mm. after, you know, 500 years of fighting against it in complicated relationships, you know, where we saved the settlers when they first came here, the European settlers. They wouldn't have survived without us. And yet here we are subject to their dominating systems. And so for folks who are trying to figure out their place One of the first things I feel is identifying that that power dynamic exists, whether you like it or not. Mm. And that um, uh, in Indigenous cultures, we're relationship-based. And so, you know, which is oftentimes very similar to where newcomers' cultures uh, or the way that newcomers' cultures are. But instead of thinking, valuing their culture, the way that this dominant system works is they want you to assimilate. So it's really important, I think, to understand that, yes, you come from a culture and it is important, you know, to be able to fit in in Canada. We all need to be able to participate in these systems so we can provide for ourselves. But also just recognize that uh, relationships with Indigenous peoples are really important. Like in Treaty 7, we're all treaty people here. And if we don't recognize that that means something, that you have a home here because that treaty was signed, you're choosing to be ignorant to all those people who were displaced, killed, and assimilated and who are trying to, still here today, trying to make their way. Yeah. 
I think I feel the same way just because of the stereotypes you may hear from your fellow immigrant friends. And those are being penetrated through the systems, which has been telling that, you mm. know, this is what indigenous folks are. But mm. that's so untrue. It's, that's like, you know, the hegemonic um, narrative that exists needs to be raised, right? Yeah. That Buffalo Bill. Buff- yeah. It really yeah. told us who the Indians are. I want to know any last thoughts on this um, episode. Yeah. So I just, I guess, want to say that trans people have a hard time staying here on this place because we're constantly reminded that we don't have a place here. I never thought anything about bathrooms before I came out of the closet. Now I have like anxiety attacks every time mm. I go to the bathroom. So, you know, just as an example, so I struggled, you know, to keep myself here regularly. And uh, what I wanted to kind of end with is, you know, I asked an elder about this. I said I needed help with this. And uh, what the elder said is that you need to remember life is a gift. And just like uh, uh, as a person giving you a gift, you can be a good gift receiver, but not just from another human. But if creation is giving you the gift of life. You know, what does that mean? How do we honor that? How do we be a good gift receiver in that sense? Mm. Receiving the gift of life. Indeed. That's what I said yesterday, too. Yes, you did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I want to thank you, Michael, for coming here and um, shedding light on your uh, identity as an individual, your work um, and your learnings as as we grow together the organization calgary pride grows Mm. in their journey of reconciliation uh stolen word from night nanchi thank you for that (laughs) (laughs) he probably got it from a native person probably (laughs) but that's okay action prompts you know this is what we are doing rather than just like you know a word so i just want to thank you that being open and wanting to interview and um Uh, opening yourself up while you're in you know in the transition i'm in transition uh but i i'm digging the look i'm loving the look and i can't wait to um, attend one of your dj performances very soon thank you thank you this has been the broadcast only on cjsw thanks for listening